Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is our 15th episode, if we ignore all our special episodes that we know you've all been enjoying over these past couple of weeks. Uh, my name is Ben Jackson and I'm your host as always. And of course, I'm joined by Scott and Joris again. Uh, how are you guys doing? Yeah, me too. Um, a little a little tired, but that's uh, because of all the specials actions. So that's uh, has a good reason. And actually, I think it's a 14th episode because the Antwerp special we we got a number for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just that's true. I know. <laughs> Outside the European specials, let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Scott, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, another busy week, as uh, Joris was saying there, kind of working on specials, which has been really exciting. So it's been kind of great to to meet so many other fantastic podcasters and learn lots of stuff along the way as well. Absolutely. I think, as you guys have probably noticed, we have more specials than we have days to release at the moment. So we are getting those out to you like in twos at the moment. Um, there's definitely some more to come. There's by no means at the end of the specials, but hopefully we'll soon have all of the European teams covered that the Belgian sides are facing. However, this one is not a special. This is our our usually weekly ramble. So in this episode, we are going to kind of follow the same sort of line of thought as we usually do. We'll check out our games and players of the week. Uh, we're going to have a little talk about the European action last week because we didn't get a chance to go back over those Europa League games that happened. We'll also have a quick look ahead to the games that are coming up uh, as the time of recording. Blues are playing tomorrow night. As time of release, they're playing tonight. So some of you may listen to this after that game. We don't know the result yet. We're recording beforehand, so apologies if we get anything drastically wrong. Uh, then we've got some really good listener questions to dive into and a quick look ahead to match day 11. So then I think we just jump straight into it uh i'll start with you yoris do you want to give yeah. us your game of the week yeah i will well i think uh, given the quality of football we can only go for a hint against racing hink i think we all agree on that one but actually uh, no just kidding this is the worst <laughs> game of the week <laughs> but, absolutely <laughs> Outhevere Leuven against Club Brugge. They, they played the two most successful teams in Belgium for two weeks straight and didn't lose um, and even won this game. To go into this game, Brugge rested a few players, uh, also European match winner De Ketelare and uh, former, Ruud Former among them. And Noah Lang made his first start. These changes were not really to be seen in the game. Club Brugge created plenty of opportunities to score but failed to do so with a with a good reason uh, which of which i know scott will talk about more later then two soft penalties followed first Leuven got the lead against the run of play but uh, lang made his first as a club brugge player at the brink of halftime and then a few big chances for brugge still came in the first half the second half brought more of the same, but with a nice goal on the counter-attack by who else than Xavier Mercier to give Leuven the lead. And still, and again, lots of chances would follow. In the beginning, mostly for Bruges, but with Leuven also failing to decide the game in the last 10 minutes. Uh, it was a really entertaining game. No, it was a really, really enjoyable game. And like, if we just quickly look at the table afterwards, it actually puts Leuven a point behind Bruges, which... Mm -hmm. Like if you told them that at the beginning of the season after ten matches there'd be a point behind Blues, you'd either think yeah, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't have expected that at all. Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. It's kind of like end to end. I agree completely agree with you about the penalties. They were just like a little bit soft, but yeah. at least they both got one, so they couldn't. Well, I would say they couldn't really complain, but 
as you've pointed out in our WhatsApp chat, Bruges complained. They, yeah. they, you haven't lost the game because of a referee. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, especially you in this the, game. Yeah. Yeah, is that like? And they had the play. It's like, like you said, they rested some some players, but not like it wasn't like a completely different side to the one that beat Saint Petersburg. Like there were still good enough players on that pitch that they should have won without having to worry about a referee at all. So. Yeah, fair play to Leuven. It was really, really good result for them. Uh, who's your player of the week, Joris? Was it from this game or was it from a different one? Um, actually, I've got a joint trophy, I would say, um, coming from the same game. But in the end, I think I give the edge to Diomersia Mokani from Antwerp. He was a constant threat to the Bearscots defence. I should have gotten one penalty and he was raining on the defence and eventually also scored the winner after an incredible ball from Buta. Um, he got fouled seven times during the game, um, if my app for that is correct. And that was the most fouled player of the all, which is, of course, a good sign as an attacker. And the second option would be from the opposition, uh, Suzuki, who was a bit less visible, but he was lethal and made two goals again, uh, making this a total uh, of four out of 322 minutes of play so far which gives a nice goal per minute ratio of one goal each 80 minutes. Uh, I have to say only one of those have led to a victory in the end, though indeed also these two well, didn't get the win for Beerschot in the end. Yeah, no, I've been impressed with Suzuki um, at Beerschot. I've been, I think I quite like how they've got three strikers who can score. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll mention another one of their strikers. Uh, on Umbakani, I know that I got a bit of uh, stick from a Antwerp fan for not including him in my team of the week. Also. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, a couple of spelling issues in there as well, but we'll ignore that. If you are, if you want to see with the team of the week that I went for this week, you can just go onto our Twitter account and it's up on there. And if you disagree with it, just let me know. I think it'd be nice to hear other people's opinions. And I found it quite difficult to fit all these players into a formation. So I've gone very uh, yesthrop at Ghent in my narrowness. It was really, yeah. it, it was really difficult for you this week putting the team of the week together, wasn't it, Ben? Because obviously we had three games that were postponed, so you know there was, you know, less players to choose from as well. Yeah, exactly. And Herb Coffee didn't play, so I was like, well, he can't go and go. <laughs> like, yeah, he didn't nightmare. concede. He didn't concede. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> the first week we scored, I think. Well, and to, uh, and to be fair, like I think the quality of the games, except one, was really well actually this weekend. Um, yeah, they were good. Yeah, yeah. I did save a few spaces for Genk, Genk and then <laughs> yeah, I was going to put one player in, but then I realised no, I can't put anyone from this game. Oh no. Um, I'm guessing that's not your game of the week, Scott. No, I mean, I, I last week I was kind of bigging up at, uh, towards the end of the pod how I was looking forward to the big Antwerp derby, uh, Antwerp and Beershot. So that, that that that's my game of the week. Pretty good game, actually. You know, for, for a derby with no fans, I was a little bit worried about that, whether it would be a bit flat, but it wasn't at all. Antwerp did what, what Antwerp do best when they're really on it, started hard and fast and were two goals up inside the first 15 minutes. Great goal from Rafailov, slight, very slight deflection on it. And then uh, Yukel Rod in the 15th minute with a hell of a strike, actually, um, that I think surprised him as much as it did everyone else. But you he, he, he can see he enjoyed that, as did his manager. Picking apart the numbers on it a wee bit, the, the possession, interestingly, was was almost completely even, which you wouldn't have thought watching the game, actually. I thought that was quite interesting. It was news to me when I, I picked it a bit further apart afterwards. Antwerp as well, and again, this is another interesting stat, only had three shots on target in the game. 
three goals, and much the same for Beershaw, only two on target, two goals. Um, so there was there was a good few shots kind of off target, but I didn't realise that all of the on-target strikes uh, resulted in goals until I saw that later as well. Rafailov had a pretty good game, actually. One goal and, and, and one assist as well. And he's one of those players, a bit like Mbakani, in that you know, when he's playing well, then generally Antwerp play well. Um, he's pretty integral to their system as well, I think. In terms of Beershaw, um, Tisa Dali and Suzuki both had pretty good games. You know, Tisa Dali provided both assists for both of Suzuki's goals. First assist from Tisa Dali was just pure quality, you know. A bit of improvisation, uh, beating a number of players, cutting inside and then just kind of laying the ball off. It was um, it was great. Holzhauser, um, the main man, um, interestingly nullified again. Man marked for a lot of the game, so he had to drop deep to come and get the ball as well, much like he did a few weeks ago against uh, Charleroi. That's two big games now Beershot have played. Uh, the Derby and uh, when they went to Charleroi and lost as well, where in both occasions Holzhauser was successfully nullified. So we've already known that if you can kind of keep him quiet, then there's a good chance that the Beershot are going to struggle. And kind of they did for large chunks of this game. Embakani, um, uh, just to touch on him a minute, actually, because Yoris, Yoris is quite right. I, I noticed how much he was getting fouled in the game. He was getting kicked left, right, and centre. And importantly, he didn't let it frustrate him. He didn't rise to the bait, didn't do anything silly, just kind of kept his head down and got on with it. So scoring the winner a minute after Beershot managed to get it back to 2-2 must have been really, really sweet, I think. Especially, you know, the treatment that was being dished out to him. But it was a pretty good game. The second half kind of petered out a little bit for me, I thought. Difficult to maintain the pace that the first half set, so it's kind of understandable. But a good advert, great advert for the league, good game. And I noticed that Beershot have already been tweeting from their own social media account to say, we look forward to seeing you in February. <laughs> so, um, they, oh, it'd be nice to get some fans in for that one. Yeah, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. So that was my no, game of the week. Absolutely. No, this, that game, I really, really enjoyed it. And like I think you always said earlier, that uh, pass from Buta was just unbelievable to Mbakani. Yeah. Such a good ball. Yes. So Tisu Dali's the man that I put in my team of the week because, like you said, with Holzhauser getting nullified, I thought he was just such a good little creative outlet. And that first assist, like, I kind of wrote his name into my team of the week after the first assist because I was like, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Appreciated that one. But yeah, really, really good game. I didn't realise that all the shots went in. That's quite a quite a stat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, it's quite a good lesson in, like, you know, pulling apart numbers after a game because often, you know, what your eyes take in when you're watching a game tells a very different story to the the numbers sometimes. Um, so to kind of see that is, is kind of quite quite startling, actually. Yeah, and I feel like Holzhauser actually really needs to step up. He's actually gone, uh, I think I uh, always doubted him a little for getting up on a higher level to be able to do the same things as he's doing now. Well, in order to achieve that, he should show up in these kind of games with man marking, of course, which, which obviously will make it more difficult. But I think he that's the thing he needs to adapt to to go up uh, another level yeah I, I would agree with that I mean I think um, un unlike the game against Charleroi where he was kind of completely kind of cancelled out actually pretty much for the entire game 
he, he did have a, a there was a little spell in the second half when Beershot had most of the possession as you would expect them to do because they were chasing the game at that point um, where you know he, he did put some nice balls into the box actually mm. um, that nobody was able to get on the end of so he wasn't completely out of the game but he certainly you know wasn't able to get into positions where he was able to influence it in any way but it's an interesting point isn't it and something to think about because we rave mm-hmm. about him a lot rightly but that's two big games uh, this season where you know he hasn't he hasn't really been on the pitch. Yeah, another player I couldn't just sneak into my team of the week that I'd have loved to have <laughs> snuck into my team of the week. But yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, and with with him, you know that if you get set pieces, like regardless of how he's playing, he will be able to deliver like a very good ball most of the time. Mm. But I think there was one yeah. corner that they had that I was like, oh yeah, there we go, this is going to be a chance. And he hit the first man, and I was just like, oh, I'm so disappointed, <laughs> so upset. Who's your player of the week, Scott? Well, my player of the week comes from Joris's game, from the Leuven Bruges game. Leuven's keeper Raphael Romo um, just had an absolutely brilliant game. Uh, there was a, there was a number of keepers who had really good weekends actually, but Romo's was the best. And I had to go away and look at the numbers because uh, my instincts were telling me that Romo had had the best game, and he did when you looked at the numbers. So it was nice to see that kind of backed up. Romo's um, thirty year old. Venezuelan keeper. He's only played five of the ten games so far this season for Leuven. Mark Mark Bryce has been kind of alternating between him and Everson. So he's obviously not quite made his mind up on on who his real number one is. Um, but Romo should be keeping it, certainly for this coming weekend, the basis of that performance. He was just just had one of those days where, you know, he must have made everybody in front of him feel great. Um, he had nine saves, three diving saves, six or seven of them were inside the box. Three punches, two high claims, which isn't that many, but you know, I think he only came for for two. So, you know, he got all of the ones he came from. He had a pass succession rate of 70% as well with his distribution, which is, you know, more than acceptable, I think. And uh, 13 of his 21 long balls were were accurate in his passing. He just had a great game, actually. He just he, he stood out like a sore thumb. And actually, when the penalty was given, he was having one of those games where I actually said out loud, He's saving this. And unfortunately, he didn't, but he was really close. He was really, really close. Guessed the right way. Um, wasn't much in it. So, yeah, Rafael Romo was my player of the week. Yeah, I was going to say, he he was really close to um to getting that penalty. And like you said, like with the chopping and changing of keepers, I think we spoke about it like near the beginning of when we started this podcast about yeah. Leuven and their keeping situation and why I think we kind of all agreed that it hasn't helped them defensively having a constant change of keeper. So... Mm. Having Romo as the the number one keeper should definitely help going forward. I think he deserves to stay now. I don't think he should be dislodged. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And it's a bit like um, a number of weeks back when Mike Van Hamel had a brilliant game for Beershaw against Bruges, um, I think in week two or three. It's the same for Romo um, at the weekend there. He absolutely, you know, made the difference really, I think. You know, if he hadn't had such a good game, then that probably would have finished a draw at least, you know. So um, absolutely worth that. Great. I'll take my my game of the week. It's also the game I look kind of, highlighted that I was looking forward to, which was uh, Oostend against Zolta Balagem. It was Oostend who came out on top with a 3-0 victory and all three goals were scored in the space of five minutes. It was just a complete like meltdown from Zolta defensively, which we have seen already this season. So in the 32nd minute, it was Kevin uh, van den Driesche who scored literally a minute later, Maxime de, de Arpino. 
scored directly from a free kick that just kind of went drifted over everyone and went in. And then Van den Dusha returned the favour from Fashion Sakala and Fashion Sakala got the third goal. 3-0, it finished. Although in the second half, Oostend could have scored about five or six. I think every time they got the ball, it just seemed to be like there was like two Zolta defenders back as they were pushing and just Oostend players flooding forward. So many chances. They really could have punished Zolta. They could have been another 6-7-0. But when you look at the stats, it's kind of an interesting one because Zolta had more of the possession with 59%. So Oostend did like to sit in a bit, especially in the second half, and just let Zolta come on and then hit them on the counter with the players they had. Uh, Zolta did manage 22 shots. Um, according to Footmob, which is quite ridiculous when you think about it, 22 shots and not scoring a single goal. So <laughs> I did see that um, uh, Graham Huber was given a player of the week, uh, player of the week, was put in a team of the week this week as well. And we kind of discussed it, whether he had a better game than Romo. So yeah, I think it's just interesting. Both keepers had very, very decent games. It's actually quite a good, good week for keepers. Yeah, and this most game was, like I said, most of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this game, I was quite impressed with uh, Van den Dlisha, kind of the veteran of the team, got a goal and an assist. I spelt his name wrong in my team of the week, so apologies to Kevin, but you knew I meant you. Fashion Sakala, a player that I absolutely love watching, he got a goal and an assist. Uh, I also want to touch a bit on Maktar Gay. I'm still, I just don't understand. I just still, I'm not convinced by Maktar Gay, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> There's just something about he like can score an absolute screamer and look brilliant, and then the next minute he's terrible, and it's just he's such a confusing player. Like, there was a series of I think it was like a two or three minute spell where he misplaced all these passes, but he kept winning the ball back through like his work rate and tenacity. He'd win it back, then misplace the ball again, so he had to work and get it back. But <laughs> I, I I like I love him. I think he's he looks like such a character. He's like just such an imposing figure and he just seems to be quite enjoying playing for Oostend. And I think we've spoken about this before, how all the players seem to be enjoying what they're doing at the moment. And I just thought, yeah, defensively, they were quite solid. Mm. Obviously, Zolta did put them under pressure. But yeah, I was just quite impressed with them. 3-0, they are definitely starting to find some real, real form. Moving up into 10th place, at least five games unbeaten now. Yeah, actually only they have a game less than most teams uh, above them exactly. as well. Yeah. But I have exactly. to say I have to say actually indeed it was a bit harsh for Zulta because also in that first half an hour when it was still nil nil they were actually playing quite well and then yeah. in in 5 minutes they threw it away and yeah <laughs> after that of course yeah there was nothing to do against it anymore. But, it was yeah. just yeah it was one of those games of like if you'd watched the first 30 minutes then gone away for like a couple of hours and come back and someone oh. had been like East End 1-3-0, you'd be like, really? Well, but... Or, you, or you, if you would have come back at halftime. Yeah, so if you'd come back like seven, eight minutes later, you'd have been very confused. But yeah, so East End are now like five points off the top mm. with that game in hand. I'm not saying they're going to win the league or anything like that, but I think it's just like a nice indicator of how far they've come under the new manager. Yeah, I, th- I think the the their Oostend are one of a number of sides that we, we've seen a kind of dramatic improvement in, um, which is kind of quite exciting. And I think you know the, the way the Zolta performed actually, Yoris is right. I think the you know the result is slightly flattering, but what it underlines is that old that old footballing cliche of the importance of concentrating at key moments. You know, all it takes yeah. is a moment and you're you're dead really. Opaya had a bad, terrible role in all three uh, goals against. Yeah. This. 
feel a bit sorry for him as well because he's a good player or used to be at least. But I'm a Daniel Apari fan. I just yeah, it wasn't the greatest yeah. game to watch for him. I think he got a 4.1 rating on Footmob, which is one of the lowest ones I've ever seen. So <laughs> I don't think it's good. he's not going to be that bad again. That's for sure. I've kind of cheated on my player of the week this week because you guys picked some really good ones and I've already done my team of the week. So a lot of those players would have got in. But I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to St. Truden because we last week, I think we put them on our sack sacking watch list with Muscat. And I didn't expect them to win 2-0 against Standard Liège at home. Very impressive from them to win. I think yep. the players showed a bit of fight and a bit of determination that had been kind of missing over these past few games. So yeah, it was uh, Dukens Nazon who got gave them the lead in the 37th minute. And then he went off injured, so hopefully he's not too bad. And then Steve Derrida scored. I think it was a bit of a screamer. I think it was a bit of a screamer from Steve Derrida, which did get him a spot in my team of the week because I wanted to put a St. Truden player in and I was like, if Steve Derrida's going to score goals like that, he definitely deserves a spot. So Kevin Muscat survives for another day. I would also highlight the assist for the first goal, actually, from, I believe it was Filipov who did it and it was a nice mm. no-look pass to Nazon, who also finished nicely. Yeah, it was Just quite a like highlight a... for that moment. He, he's, he seems to be a moments guy for them when that can, yeah. might help them in their, let's, it's a bit early to say that, but fight for survival to staying in and going higher up in the league. Absolutely, yeah, that pass was just... I was quite confused. I was like, is this St. Truden? Like, this is nice. Really good like, bit of play. Um, we'll quickly run through the rest of the games. There weren't actually that many with all the COVID uh, cancellations happening at the moment. And again, we just, yeah, it's kind of up in the air as to whether or how many games we're actually going to get this weekend. Friday night saw, as Joris had already mentioned, Kortrijk against Anderlecht. Anderlecht won 3-1. The only other game, I guess, that we haven't mentioned was the Genk, Genk 1-1. Well, uh, 1-1, sorry. Uh, the 2-1 for Genk uh, on Monday night, which has been, yeah, it was a bit of a forgettable game. Forgettable game. That's pretty much it. The table's very, very tight. We put it up on the Twitter account earlier. But as we just said, from 10th place East End to Antwerp in first place, there's only a five-point difference. So very, very exciting. We may have... A crazy title race potentially on our hands here. Who knows? We're just going to take a quick break now. And then when we come back, we'll crack on with the second half of the podcast. Welcome back to the second half of the Belgian football podcast. Uh, We're just going to dive straight into the Europa League games that we saw last Thursday. First up, we had Standard Liège against Rangers. And we're going to go to our, our Celtic fan, Scott, for this one. Scott. How do you think this game went? Not the best result for Standard to start the group phases, was it? No, it wasn't really. Um, there's not really a lot you can say about the game, to be honest. Standard were were pretty poor, actually, in all honesty. I mean, it was about 25 minutes into the game before they really started to kind of get going and realised they were they're actually even in a game, by which time they were already 1-0 down. I think the real the real talking point of this game is the weather more than anything else. But halfway through, the torrential rain started, and then both sides' game plans really went out the window. And you just have to adapt to the the playing conditions as best as possible. It was actually it was getting that bad that I was I was beginning to wonder are we going to get to finish here? Yeah, Standard were really pretty poor. Didn't create anything. Jackson Malika had a a glance in the head on the first half that came off the bar. Although, to be fair to Rangers, I think Alan McGregor, their keeper, might have got a fingertip to it. Just really poor from Standard. You know, you kind of, you expected better. Rangers played quite well. 
um, Rangers coming off the back of uh, a victory against my team Celtic as well, so high in confidence. Looked much more like the home side, actually. Um, kind of bossed the game, really, for the most part. You know, Standard didn't really test them. Then the weather turned, and, and really, at that point, Standard were kind of chasing the game, which obviously makes it more difficult for them as well. The winner in the end... Rangers, um, Kamar Rusko, just just a brilliant, brilliant bit of improvised genius, to be honest. Beats two players inside his own half, then spots that Bodar's off his line and just launches it pretty much in the last minute of the game. Um, pretty spectacular stuff, but Rangers thoroughly deserved their win, actually. Great start to them to the campaign. Poor start for Standard, and it's not going to get any easier for them because, as we know, they're uh, heading to Lisbon later on in the week. I would highlight a few things. Not all of them are on the on the pitch. Some of them off. Uh, first yeah. one, stupidly given away penalty. First goal of, of Rangers. Indeed, maybe they were the better team, but they were also not creating much until then. And then, like, yeah, the ball bounced very slowly, in my opinion, yeah. to uh, Gavoris, I believe, arm. Uh, so it was a handball. And yeah, uh, and then one one, t- it could have gone differently in the end because like 15 seconds before the roof's uh, goal i think the chop a uh, cop chop i don't know how to pronounce it in creation uh missed his control while he was uh, basically in front of mcgregor so it could have been one the equalizer but 15 seconds later the game was over well it would have been over in a few minutes anyway but it mm-hmm. Yeah, he was already not the most popular player uh, at Standard Liège, and yeah. he, he, that really didn't improve with that. And then also the last thing, yeah. Then after the Roof's goal, he uh, went to celebrate. Um, well, he made the sign with an A and I believe also an L, which then some Standard players and the bench took as provocation, me referencing his period at Anderlecht, the, the arch rivals, but. Actually, he does make that gesture for his uh, both his children. It's the first letters of their children's name. But there was a lot of commotion despite yeah. that because they didn't know that at the time. And the founder, uh, ex Red Devil, at his time twenty years ago or so, uh, went completely went bonkers on him, and it was stupid. <laughs> I think the, uh, the the post-match scuffles that Yoris is talking about are arguably the the most interesting thing about the game, to be honest, because it was a pretty forgetful game for the most part actually yeah i kind of agree it was just a bit of a flat one like i was quite looking forward to it and then i was just like oh i just don't think standard are... i don't know it's just i was just really disappointed with them but who knows maybe they can go to benfica and surprise us and play better uh, so that was in one of those like random early slots that they've started doing the late slots we had two other games we had ludogorets against antwerp and antwerp were the only side to win on the night from belgium they actually went one nil down to start the game, it was to start the game. Yeah, it says in the 46th minute, uh, Marine put Luda Goretz ahead. And at that time, I was like, we're going to gather a free game, three defeats on our hands here. But thankfully, they turned it around in the space of about seven minutes. So 63rd minute, uh, Peter Gherkin scores from a corner. Uh, 70th minute, uh, Leo Raphael brilliantly goes around the keeper and tucks it home. The scenes at the end of the game were just, I loved it. I really loved seeing it. Leco looked delighted. The whole squad looked absolutely <laughs> buzzing off the back of that win. And we needed a win that evening because, yeah, after that standard disappointment, I'd been really looking forward to the Europa League. So for Antwerp to deliver was quite a nice thing. Yeah, they, yeah. they also played well anyway. They didn't really deserve to go behind 
in the first place. Uh, they turn it around without Mbokani, who was suspended, so that's that's good for them. But he will be back from the Thursday on. Also, I, I only think about it now, but it's also the only uh, team that we didn't get a special for. So uh, I hope this is not a bad omen for all Belgian teams. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies if we've cursed any of the Belgian teams. Because I think we probably cursed the second uh, late game. Uh, it was Ghent against Slovan Liberec. Yeah, I think yours, you were saying earlier, it was just kind of like a typical Ghent performance where they had a quite a few chances. They should have probably won the game, but they ended up coming out with a 1-0 defeat. Yeah, like they, they should have won it. Uh, yeah, they'll, Liberec will be happy that they took the points that they uh, got. And we'll see how... It, maybe Ghent can still turn it around in the group. I'm a bit more confident about that. Although it might not start next Thursday against Hoffenheim. I fear that will be a very tough one. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully they can turn it around. But there's just performance have been so up and down. Just quickly looking at the stats for that game. And it kind of, you did kind of think that they seem to have the ball all the time. And when you look at it, they did have 73% possession. So it's just a classic case of you can have all the ball, but that doesn't actually mean you win the game. So hopefully they can get that win, but they're now going up against arguably the best team in the group in Hoffenheim. So yeah, I'm not too confident about that. But maybe when they play Liberec again, they will not be as bad. Obviously, we haven't completely touched on the... Bruges game, obviously we spoke about the Zenit game last week. Uh, we've also got them playing Lazio tonight as of release. Guys, it's kind of like a bit up in the air as to what sort of Lazio team is going to be put on the pitch really, isn't it? It's all gone a little bit crazy. Well, I think we, it became easier to fill in the names because there's so little left, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it, it, it looks like Bruges will really be playing a very depleted squad, even worse depleted than they of course, were themselves uh, against City. Um, with how many players is it? 12, uh, I believe, out of because of COVID. One thing is also we, at the moment of recording, we don't know the results of the Bruch COVID tests. Uh, so hopefully no bad surprises there either. Unfortunately, I, I really don't want it this way, but it looks like it's uh, going to be a bit um, in favor of Bruch, although... The teams that have been struck in Europe last week um, also performed really well, actually. So, including Bruges. So, we'll have to see if it actually will be a, a good thing for them or th- that it doesn't really matter the re- result-wise, of course. Yeah, I think you're right, Joris. It's one of those things that it could almost go either way. I mean, I noticed this evening that coming out of his press conference, Philippe Clement was being very careful to kind of play down the significance of such a depleted Lazio squad. Obviously, very aware of the fact that some of the Bruges players are still to be tested and that, you know, people shouldn't take too much for granted out of that and that I think the lesson, I suppose, is do your talking on the pitch. That's what I thought when I kind of heard the news. I thought, okay, you could, you know, Lazio reportedly only have 12 fit fit players, really, um, regardless of who's in the squad. So you've still got to do the business, haven't you? And I I think that's obviously a concern of Philip Clement's that, you know, the the psychology of approaching the game is going to shift quite dramatically now. And I suppose what he's saying is it shouldn't really. You know, I mean, we've still got to focus on what we need to do here and and not take anything for granted. But there's definitely... a big opportunity there for Bruges now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of <laughs> frustrating for us personally because we had a brilliant Lazio preview podcast put out. Yeah. And Alistair gave us like the lowdown on the key players to watch. And unfortunately, we can't really re-record that and add in some of these other players that we might actually see because 
obviously, uh, just looking at it, uh, James Horncastle tweeted out like the list of players, and you've got like Chilo Mobile is not going to be playing. He's yeah. their goal threat. Luis Alberto is not going to be there. Uh, Strakosha, the goalkeeper, is not going to be playing, who I think is one of the better keepers in mm-hmm. Italian football as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a real shame because I was actually really looking forward to both those teams going at it with like with their full strength teams just to kind of mm-hmm. see kind of yeah. where the group was going, I guess, because they both won. And I think I kind of agree with what you guys saying about having to focus and stuff. Because I think with the Zenit game, although Bruges would have seen that game as one they wanted to win, they didn't have as much pressure being away from home in Russia. Mm. Whereas now they're going to have a lot of pressure on them to get a result against this depleted Lazio team. And yeah, as you said, like the teams that have been struck by this, it can kind of galvanise them a little bit. And they yeah. can gather around and put in one of those, like, it's a one-off game. They can put in a performance that just kind of defies the talent that they have, I guess. So it's a brilliant, brilliant opportunity for Bruges, but a, kind of like a sad way for it to come about, I guess. But hopefully they can get the win. It'll put them in really good stead in the group if they do. Great for coefficient points, all that sort of stuff. So moving on from the Champions League to the better competition anyway, the Europa League. Antwerp have a really, really exciting game coming up uh, when they play Tottenham Hotspur. I'm sure you'll have all have seen that we released a Tottenham Hotspur special episode with Flav from the aptly named The Fighting Cock podcast. Um, so if you are interested in hearing more about Tottenham, I'll definitely check that out. We're just going to kind of give a little prediction of what we think is going to happen. So guys, I'm just going to do a quick a quick score prediction and a slight like game prediction from you each. So Scott, what's your score prediction and kind of how do you see the game going? Oh, I can see lots of goals in this. I think Spurs might win 3-1. I'm gonna go for the surprising two-two. I also see some goals in there, though. But and how, I, a bit flattering for Antwerp, I would say uh, that the result would be if I go deep into my prediction. But <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But I, yeah, I think it will be a bit against the run of play, possibly, but not necessarily undeserved. But yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for Antwerp. Yeah, I'm as well. I think if I I don't follow the Premier League too closely, but I think Spurs played on Monday, so. Who knows? Maybe they'll be knackered because Premier League teams don't like playing more than once a week. They're very upset <laughs> about that. So hopefully Antwerp can take advantage of that. Next one, as we mentioned before, we have Standard against Benfica. Benfica aren't the team they used to be, but they're still going to be a really hard test. Uh, Joris, score prediction for this one? I think Benfica will win this fairly easily. 2-0, I'd say. They also are unbeaten in the Portuguese league. In Europe, it hasn't been their season yet, of course. But they're still a decent side, so I fear a bit for Standard as well. Also, also, sorry to oh, add, sorry. Uh, also, also the Rangers, uh, maybe also already uh, um, Standard missed a few players with the Rangers also in Sintrada, and I think it still counts for this game, uh, among which Rasquin and Estien, which are very key yeah. players, very much key players. Yeah. So I think that will cost them. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Joris. I, f- I fear for them slightly as well. I would agree with two 0 but it wouldn't surprise me if it was more than that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling too optimistic about the Belgian teams this week, actually, in in the Europa, actually. So yeah, two or three 0 to Benfica, I think probably. Yeah, I'm gonna go for three 0 as well. I think I completely agree. And again, if you're interested in hearing more about Benfica, check out the special episode. Uh, lastly, we also have probably releasing at the same time as this one or maybe a few hours after we do have a really interesting special episode on Hoffenheim uh they play against Ghent Scott what do you reckon this one's going to end as oh I, I think Hoffenheim might sneak it 
Um, I can see 2-1, 2-1 away win. I think if Ghent don't get anything out of this, I think it's curtains for them in the group, to be honest, because they you know, they need to kind of concentrate on the league after that if they don't really get something here. So I, I, I think, yeah, 2-1 away win, I'll go for. Doris? I Firstly, I don't really agree. I think they would be able to recover, of course, the games against Red Star Belgrade. Sorry for if, uh, if I don't use the Serbian name, yeah. but um, <laughs> are the important games. And if they if they can win both these games and the Liverage one, mm. they might still get there, depending on the results uh, of these teams against yeah. each other for this game. I hope I hope for a 1-1. It's not really a big hope even. Um, mm. Not hoping for much, but I hope they can sneak a point. Um, they should finally convert a chance and also not give away too much at the back this time. That should happen at some point, and I hope that point is now. <laughs> I'm, I know I've been kind of like low on Ghent, but I just have this sneaky feeling that they're going to win. I'm going for a win. I'm thinking Nicholas Dorsch and Tim Kleindienst are going to rediscover some form playing against German opposition. I know they played Bundesliga Spy, but they're going to turn it on against Hoffenheim on the way to a 2-1 victory for Ghent. It's Ooh. going to be nervy, but without Kramerich, I just feel like Ghent have a... This is one of their chances, and it's one of those games that Hoffenheim just randomly lose. So, yeah, come on the Ghent. Oh, yeah, also about the special, we go way more, way further than, than just about talking about the game. That's... Uh... These these are listeners a little. Absolutely, yeah. Hoffenheim are a really interesting team for right and wrong reasons. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting thing, and I'd, I'd encourage people to if you're interested in what comes out of the special episode, definitely. There's really good articles uh, online that you can find in English about Hoffenheim and what they mean in terms of the German footballing culture. Alas, that is not what we are here to talk about. Um, otherwise we could have a very long discussion on football and culture in Germany very interesting topic but so I think we should listen to some of, some of our own listeners and their questions that have come through this one was slightly answered on the Twitter account uh, on yours Twitter account Scott but I feel like we should probably talk about it a little bit more is a um, question from uh, Jordi uh, one of our Antwerp fan followers uh, he asked how long has Frankie Drury got left uh, surely another defeat seals it you would think so, but yeah, he has this clause in his contract. I believe, I don't know the details, obviously, but from what I've heard, and that sounds really much like one uh, specific commentator and analyst in the Belgian TV as well, so um, apologies for our Belgian listeners, but he, got, he gets one million a year per year that his contract uh, still is still running which is until i believe we told it before but 2024 i believe so still too many years that uh, if, even if it's not that number it's going to be a, a big number and it's just not going to be possible with the well with the covid situation which is also not helping which is also not helping us and as we all know already uh, because of the spare he no deal with charleroi and so on they don't have that much of money left uh, for sacking him. Luckily for them, they're also not completely bottom yet. There's still teams worse than them. Yeah, I, th I think Joris is right. I think the short answer is they simply can't afford to do it, even if they wanted to. Um, and I think Zulta, you know, it's no, it's no secret they've been in quite a precarious financial position anyway. And the virus situation just kind of compounds that. They've already laid off some some staff um, and cost-cutting measures as well. So um, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. No, I think when you look at that six-year contract, it just kind of reminds me of like situations you get in like the NBA where teams give a player a ridiculous contract for a ridiculous amount of years and then it just becomes 
an instantly a bad contract in the sense that it's too long and it harms the team long term. And I feel like this is what the situation they've kind of got themselves into. Yeah. Obviously, I think I agree with you guys. I don't think they're in danger of going down. I think they're like they've shown that they can play a bit and I think they'll be fine. But yeah. I feel like long term future for the club, is he that like, is he still is he does he still need to be there? Like with that many years left on the contract, like what's I just don't yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah, well, to give a bit of context for you guys, I guess, I don't know exactly how low they were, but he brought them back from fourth division or so until first division. Then he had some adventure at Ghent, but then he came back at the club, Did he had a few good years as well, and then they gave him this contract, which in the end might still bite them in the ass but he definitely earned that contract at some point yeah. but that's not showing right now uh, unfortunately for him yeah i think i'm all for not sacking managers for the sake of sacking managers like and who knows maybe he'll turn it around again this season and get them back but yeah it's it's an interesting one i think the only other real person i've ever seen being given that long a contract for memory was alan pardew at Newcastle, and we all know how that ended up. It's a pretty shocking decision for everyone involved. There used to be regular updates on Twitter of like Alan Pardew would still be in this year of his contract at this time. So I think it only would have ended a couple of years ago as well. So I don't know, different situation though. I think there, like you always said, he's a bit more of like a, a bit more of a legend around the club than Frank uh, than Alan Pardew would ever be at um, Newcastle United. <laughs> yeah, we don't like him at Reading either, Alan Pardew. He's definitely not not universally loved by our, our fan base either. Moving on, this isn't an Alan Pardew podcast. We got another message, another tweet question from The Downturn. His question or her question is, what's your guys' take on Mad Jack Hendry so far? Scott, I feel like you should go for this one, seeing as though <laughs> he is a member of your club. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting story here, actually, in that, you know, when Jack Henry first came to Celtic, um, he was a Brendan Rodgers signing. Uh, Brendan Rodgers saw something in him. Celtic paid, I think, uh, Dundee, who he was with at the time, I think it was about one and a half million for the transfer. And he came in and was thrown into the deep end, really, um, because of injuries Celtic had at the time. He was forced to play some uh, Champions League qualifiers and and had a couple of nightmares that you know just did his confidence no good at all and the sorts of performances that just make fans get on your back. So the, the Celtic fans don't think terribly fondly of Jack Henry, but the truth is, and this is the important bit, he he kind of disappeared kind of quite quickly after those initial nightmares. Um, pretty much to protect him more than anything else. Dropped out of squads completely, eventually gets a loan to uh, Australia, um, which started quite well for him, I think. And then he got a horrible, horrible injury, I think, uh, which meant he had to come back to Celtic uh, for his recuperation. Once he'd recovered, the opportunity to go to Ustend came up. And I remember thinking at the time, this is a great, great move for him because he's coming to a great league. Uh, a really competitive league where where he will probably play regularly and he will improve and that's what that's what's happened actually. It seems like he's really enjoying Ustend and I've noticed from what I've seen of him so far this season that physically he's bulked up a bit as well and crucially he's much more comfortable on the ball. One of his big issues was um, confidence so he tended to panic a lot on the ball but that's completely disappeared now and he's a completely different player actually. I think if come the end of this loan term I think um, he'd be more than happy to stay at Ustain so if a deal can be done between them and Celtic and I don't see why it can I think he can and will stay in Belgium. Nothing to add there. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think he's looked good. I think he's kind of bought into what they're doing there. I think, like you said, that confidence factor. Like obviously, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen much of him at all before this yeah. season. So basing it on that and just seeing what Blessing's done with like quite a few of their players in terms of confidence and stuff, it's definitely. I think we're safe to say we think he's doing a good job. Speaking of East End, they have, as of an hour ago, made a new signing. They have signed Mamadou Tiam, a former Barnsley striker, mm-hmm. who, if transfer marks is telling me the right information, scored one goal for Barnsley in the Championship last season. Uh, I can't remember much of him, but yeah, interesting. Another attacker, another striker for that club, another young player, so... Exciting times at East End, that is for sure. Quickly before we end, I think we should just have a, a brief look towards match day 11, as it is in the schedule, not for all teams. This may just be their 10th game. Joris, do you want to give us the game that you are looking forward to most? I know you had a couple on your radar, so is there just one you're looking forward to or are there a couple as well? I'll mention all three of them again. Beerschot uh, versus OHL, Leuven, the two promoted teams that are doing exceptionally well uh, will be interesting to see they have faced each other already technically not this season but right before the season obviously another game that that I will also go in deeper well not that much deeper actually Anderlecht versus Antwerp uh, a battle for is it a battle for first spot basically everything above spot 10 is right now against the first so I think so and well, it will be interesting to see the, the clash between these two teams. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to that one. And then another one that I just want to mention as well is the Zoltewaregem versus Kortrijk, which is a derby. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, sticking to the table now, Anderlecht could, yeah, draw level with Antwerp on points Okay. Uh, it. after the game. So, yeah, no, it's like a, a battle for top spot, which is crazy when you consider that Anderlecht is seventh and Antwerp are top, but that's just how tight the league <laughs> is at the moment. Yeah, by then maybe it's not anymore anyway, but... Any, any points for any team is just going to change that, change the look of the table quite drastically at the moment. Scott, what's your game that you're looking forward to this week? Uh, I'm quite excited uh, to have a look at uh, Charleroi against uh, Circle Bruges. I think that could be a cracking game. But my general advice would be watch as many of the weekend's games as you can. And hopefully, depending on the test results from other teams tomorrow, the midweek tests, we will, fingers crossed, have a full league programme this weekend. Yeah, that would be fantastic if we could. But oh, I just don't know what's going to happen at the moment. But fingers crossed everyone's kind of, yeah, testing negative because just in general, health-wise, that'd be really good. Uh, the game, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but I'm intrigued by it. Is uh, Muscron against St. Truden. Obviously, St. Truden won, so I had this build down as like a, a clash of two teams that hadn't won for ages, but St. Truden then went and beat Standard Liège, so they kind of ruined that for me. But yeah, I'm just intrigued to see what Muscron are going to look like under their new manager. I want to see if there's... I don't, I don't know if they win. They kind of need to at least get a point out of this game, but just if there's any sort of signs of life in that team, I'm sure there will be some sort of changes. There has to be. They can't keep doing what they've been doing but yeah if you're like me and you enjoy a good relegation scrap then I'd recommend watching Muscon against St Fluden and then outside of that so starting off on Friday we have Joris's Genk against Eupen uh, as you said Saturday we have Beershot against Leuven repeat of the playoff final uh, following that we have Charleroi against Circle as Scott said uh, Club Brugge against Mechelen finishes off the Saturday Sunday Anderlecht against Antwerp Muscon, St. Luden, Standard Liège, Oostend, 
And then Sunday finishes with uh, Vazan Beveren against Ghent, which is actually a kind of a bottom half battle at the moment. And then Monday night, we have the derby of Zilta Valagem against Courtois. Uh, so plenty to look forward to over this weekend. Let's hope we get a full round of fixtures. And that's just about all we have time for in this week's episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. As always, Scott and Joris, thank you for joining me. Welcome, as always. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for your ears, everybody. Just before we go, if any of our listeners are freelance football writers or interested in any sort of design, video, audio, anything like that, working in football media, then definitely give Freelance Football Ops a follow. And if you sign up to them, you can be added to their uh, weekly newsletter, which comes out every Monday, where they list paid jobs, not these jobs that just get you to do writing for them without paying you these are all paid work so definitely worth looking at yes if you go onto their twitter account freelance football ops or visit their website www.freelancerfootballops.com uh we'll be back again next week with another episode we obviously have our specials coming out so keep an eye on them if you enjoy what we're doing and you like this podcast we'd be grateful if you could just let us know or if you have any advice critique anything like that that can help us improve please also do get in touch you can find us on twitter at belgian podcast or you can email us belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com alternatively you can find all of our individual twitter handles i am at benjack94 scott is at scott underscore underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore beck b-e-c-q uh thank you everyone for listening And we hope to speak to you again on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.